when you give kids control, just 20%, just a small percentage of the time, it gives them a sense of empowerment that they can do it. What you want is a kid that feels empowered and willing to take a risk. The countries where the kids are doing really well are countries where that give kids some control of their learning. You have to let natural consequences take place. And we don't. We just, we're always there. We're, we're like saving the kids all the time. Aprendimento. Education. Hello again and welcome to In Piazza. I'm Jeannie Allen. I'm so pleased today to have a true educator, technology, mother, author, rock star um, with me and somebody who is famously interviewed, has famously educated and is talked about in all corners of the education sector. Esther Wojcicki who is also called the godmother of Silicon Valley and one of the best American educators around, is also called Waj by her students, founded the media arts program originally at Palo Alto High School and built it in one of the largest journalism programs um, pretty much in any school. Also an accomplished mother of three extraordinary women who she talks about a lot, both in her books, uh, her speeches and podcasts. Esther herself is the oldest of three and the first in her family to attend college. So many great things to take away from you today, Esther. I'm just so pleased you joined me. Thank you. Thank you so much for that great introduction. Really, I'm very grateful to be here. Well, there's so much out there that I'm learning that people don't know who really want to participate in the future, who want to be part of the education world, the technology world, who want to help students carve their path to the future. Uh, as you know, we're working on the YAS Prize right now. And one of the things we keep hearing from people in the accelerator, these innovators, is like just being able to have their eyes open to things. So I'm all about learning. Every time I hear you or see you speak, I learn. Um, so I was excited to have um, you here. And a lot of the times, and even most recently, um, I think it was Angela Duckworth interviewed you at the Start Ed, Ed Tech Week in New York. And she really keyed a lot on your, um, your philosophy and some of the things that you helped impart to people about what you think makes um, effective kids. So I kind of want to start backwards there. Everybody usually starts by talking about your kids. I actually want to talk about what you authored. I want to talk about um, about your your focus. I don't want to give away too much because I want people to go out and buy um, your most recent book, which is called How to Raise Successful People, the 2019 book. Um, but how did you back into thinking about raising successful kids? How did you back into where we're talking about this notion of trust, respect, independence, collaboration, et cetera? Well, so I backed into it um, actually as a child. And um, I had a lot of problems fitting into the school system because back in those days, if you got done with your work early, uh, you were um, punished, actually. Um, you had to sit there quietly, couldn't talk to anybody. Collaboration was considered cheating. And so that created a lot of problems for me. Um, and so I decided when I grew up, I was gonna change the system. And so, you know, that's what happens. You should believe more in little kids and what they want to do, because that was really my goal back then. I wanted to make education better, and it wasn't it wasn't so good for me. 
Um, and then um, when I became a teacher, and, uh, and that was in 1984, and I realized that the system didn't work well still, you know, all that time I, since I was a child, then as a high school student, then as a teacher, um, I realized that I wanted to give more control to my students because they were just constantly being told what to do all the time. They had to listen to me, read the book I told them, memorize all this stuff, take a test, multiple choice tests and everything I said. It was like, oh my God, how boring for them and for me. So then I decided I was going to change the way I was teaching so that I would give them more control of the what of their environment. And I allowed them to do that in class. That was in the 1984, 85, 86. And I got into a lot of trouble for that because um, the classes were not taught like that. And uh, giving kids control was considered, it was terrible. They thought I was nuts. Um, but fortunately, uh, through a variety of um, events, some of which are told about in my book, I succeeded in getting tenure, <laughs> thank God. And, <laughs> and then it was harder, at least, to fire me. And um, one of the only times I'll back tenure. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was good. And um, so, you know, the program continued to grow from 84 till 1999. It then become, became a huge program. 1999, I had like 100 kids in the program. And I said, you know, this is crazy. One teacher and 100 kids. It's like I'm running my own school. Unreal. So um, I said, well, why don't we start another publication? Not just a magazine, a newspaper. We'll start a magazine. Uh, of course, the administration, as typical, said, uh, no, we don't need a magazine. Not only that, high schools don't have magazines, you know. You point to another school that has a magazine. We don't have them. So never to be deterred. I just like, okay, well, we're just going to do it after school. And uh, actually, what I did is I just did it in school, but, you know, random periods of time. And we published four publications, four magazines at that time. I think they were 80 pages long. Kids worked on it after school and whatever. And then I submitted it to Columbia University. They have an association that evaluates student publications. Yeah. And we won a gold crown. And so it was the top of the nation. And so then I took that award and I went back to the school district and the administration, the central district and so forth. I said, look at what we did. Don't you think magazines can work? And of course, they said, of course. Well, we never had a doubt. We'll get you another teacher for sure. This is a great idea. And so that's how the whole public, <laughs> the whole program continued to grow. Because in 2000, the magazine was started and I hired another teacher who's there today, Paul Kandel. He's a great teacher. Mm -hmm. And then every two years after that, I started another publication. Today, there are 10. And um, six other teachers and it's and it's all based on the same principles of student empowerment giving students control of learning letting them revise repeatedly to make it good whatever they are writing about or doing or whatever the layout or design sometimes they do layout and design that is no good it's like well you'd have to do it again but um there's no penalty they don't get a bad bad right. for doing it and so the built into the program is the idea that you can be successful no matter how hard you, if it depends on how hard you try, mm -hmm. how you try the more successfully you're most likely going to be.
So um, yeah, it just speaks to the whole power of, you know, uh, personalized learning, you know, a lot of the things today in the innovations project based student agency, which many of my listeners over time have heard me kind of say that at one point in time, when people talk about student agency, they're like, oh, come on, don't we have to tell them what to do? Because that's old school. That's the way many of us were taught. And yet, every time I hear a story about someone who gave students the power uh, and educators the power, um, you know, there are great results. And so my question for you is, how do you, how do you take, you had to push a lot, you had to endure, that's obviously in your DNA, the stories about Marva Collins in Chicago in the 80s, same thing, really trying to get inner city kids learning Shakespeare. No one thought that was would ever happen. Jaime Escalani in California. But today we have a lot of people who either, you know, most of them just feel like they give up because the districts and the systems and no matter what kind of schools there are, they're so entrenched. How do we take what you did and scale it? Where, where does education, innovation and policy play a role in codifying what you're talking about? So I think education policy plays a huge role. And they control pretty much what the teachers are doing. Teachers, most teachers are not rebels like I was. Most teachers follow the instructions and they're told to teach a certain way. They do it. Um, the textbook companies, they produ- provide a textbook. They provide online educational support. Let's put it that way. And so teachers, and they actually tell you what to do every single day of the school year. Lesson plans every single day. And a lot of teachers just follow it. And the reason they do is because there's so much pressure on them to follow it. And so I equate this to, you know, a teacher kind of like a waitress. You're just serving the food that happens to be the curriculum that is decided upon by somebody else. And um, and teachers then get discouraged. You know, they try new things and they're like, oh, don't work. And then they get in trouble. And uh, so it, it's a problem. I think one of the ways that we could help would be for, and that's why I'm doing all this, is for parents to realize and administrations to realize that when you give kids control, I'm not saying 100% of the time, just 20%, just a small percentage of the time, it gives them a sense of empowerment that they can do it. And what you want is a kid that feels empowered and willing to take a risk and revise and revise and revise. If the system could support revision, that would be a huge change, a huge change. Because right now you get one shot at it, you get a grade, another shot, you get another grade. And then at the end of that, if you don't get a good grade, well, then you can't get into college and your life is over. And it's like total mess, the whole thing out there. And um, if you take a look at countries that score the highest on the PISA test, mm-hmm. personal um, student international assessment test, it, where you rank one country versus another country. The countries that rank the highest, one is Finland. In Finland, the teacher can give control to the students. No one's telling the teacher what to do. The teacher is autonomous. And so the teacher can allow students to have all this control and fluency and opportunities to do new things. And uh, why don't people take a look at what's going on in Finland or Mm -hmm. take Singapore is also another place where the test scores are high, or Shanghai is really high. Um, the countries where the kids are doing really well are countries where that give kids some control of their learning. And what's just happened in the last 
two months is we got a report that our students are two years behind. And what has happened as a result of that report is the school districts are doubling down. It's like, you didn't memorize enough. You're going to have to memorize twice as much this year because you didn't memorize it last year. So now, you know, math and reading, you have to read, you last year read one book, now you have to read two books. Or last year you read 10 books, you have to read 20 books. Everything's doubled. Mm-hmm. And fun, fun, what do we do? We don't have fun here. We're learning. And learning means suffering. That's what people actually, unfortunately, have this memory of going to school. It's tough and it's not fun, but you have to do it. And I'm saying that's not true. You know, kids learn the best when they are happy and not, and they don't learn. You just try learning when you're hungry or when you're crying or when you're miserable or you're sad or when you think you're going to not do it well. You just try to learn it. You, the adults out there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what are you doing to kids? You're doing all that stuff to them. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and the con- campaign. Could everybody please listen to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, and the and the content matters, right? And part of part of the reason people get bored is not only is the not only are they given sort of rote and, and instruction that has a sequence that doesn't have that revision opportunity, the mastery. Again, huge fan of the fact that we're talking about mastery in a lot of communities. Some states are adopting it. Um competency-based education, still few and far between, but there's also content and their students can drive to the content, right? They can drive themselves. They can say, okay, I, I have to learn about a piece of American history. I'm supposed to accomplish these five things. Let me find books to fill in the blanks. That's not only books, you can do it online now. Online. You can find all kinds of articles. You can find books online. You know, you there's so much there's a whole museum structure online, you know, the whole museum thing. What are we doing? No, we're just with this little textbook classroom. And, you know, the ideal, I should say the ideal vision that most people have of classes, kids all sitting quietly reading. I'm not kidding. You walk by a classroom. It's like, Oh, they're doing well over there. They're not even (laughs) interacting. They're not doing anything. They could be sleeping and nobody would. Anyway. Yeah, yeah no, and interactive classrooms are, are super. So we've got to change the environment, um, obviously, for, for students to have more control, parents to demand it, administrators to give it. And we could go into lots about teachers. Um, but let me stop on the parent piece for a minute. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're fans of saying parents need power, um, yeah. that they have the ability in many ways to help their students determine what course they should take. Talk to me about how you feel about parents and and sort of what level they should be involved. How do parents get engaged? I mean, obviously there's lots of ways, but should parents be able to say, Esther, this is not just a loaded question. Everyone knows how I feel, but should they be able to say, you know what, this school, this program, this course isn't working let's switch it up or let me go somewhere else. I mean, and how much do they know? So a parent knows their child pretty well. Um, They probably don't know them outside the home as well, because sometimes kids behave very differently outside. So I think parents as a group have incredible power and they don't use it because they can use that power to tell the school board 
how they think schools should be functioning in their area. And school board races are like the boring. Nobody pays attention. Mm -hmm. But those school boards matter. So they can go in and complain to the superintendent or complain to the uh, principal. But most parents are reluctant to do that. And the reason they are is they're like, they're going to take it out on my kid. Right. Sure. I shouldn't say anything at all. If, if I do, you know, I don't want my kid to be, you know, trapped or whatever. But and that that is a problem. But, you know, superintendents actually want to please the parents. So if if you are in a situation, I would get together with a group of other parents and meet with the superintendent. Talk about it. See what you can do about it. And, you know, give the the teachers really want to have more control in the classroom and they don't have it. They're following a diet or a prescription that is pretty much set by the school board. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most teachers aren't rebels. I was a rebel. You know, they threatened to fire me a lot of times. And I was like, OK, go ahead and do it. But they never did, of course, because this parents supported me. But um it's hard for most parents today, I think. And if you look at the social economic status of a variety of schools, the lower the social economic status of a school, the more sort of rigid and prison-like that school is. Mm-hmm. And right. that's me why, but that's it. So at the very top, where you have the private schools where you're paying $60,000 a year, oh, those kids have freedom like you can't believe. Right. And yet the and yet the schools serving poor communities, we have a couple that we work with uh, more than a couple, but a couple come to mind where they're bringing kids back from who have dropped out, who are adjudicated, who are just bored in school. And they're basically flipping education. They're saying you're going to learn partly on your own, partly with other people. We're going to connect you with work. We're going to make sure your whole experience is all driving towards success. Success and putting the pieces in and letting them drive it. And kids cannot get enough of it. And it's extraordinary. That's what we should be doing more of, you know, and letting them have an opportunity for that, whatever they're learning to be connected to the real world. I mean, you know, cause a lot of stuff, kids like, I don't understand why I have to learn this. And you, the parents say, well, I don't know either, you know? And the answer is if it's going to be on the test on Friday, memorize it now, go in your room and do it. Although it does drive me crazy, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, and who knows, maybe you say it, but I don't think you probably do. When you hear a parent say, you know, I don't, I never did well in math either, and I don't get it because you don't, what, how many equations do you do today? Like, I'm sitting on my Excel not long ago trying to figure out an equation. It's not that I need equations, but there is a lot in math makes you think. So doing the work can help your brain function. They say what we use 9% of our, the muscle of our brain. So I wish that more people would say, no, you shouldn't have to just do this to do it. But like, let's connect the dots. Does geometry help you accomplish X? Does algebra we know is a gateway to college. Why? Let's explain it. But if that's not where you're going to be, or you're having issues with algebra, let's unpack it. Usually it's because you didn't learn to multiply or divide. Right. So my theory is that in all classes, there should be the opportunity to revise, revision. And that's not true. So if you make a mistake, you just move on to the next thing. And revision, kids learn a lot by revision. 
perhaps they cut down how much they're trying to accomplish and let kids revise mm-hmm. what that they're doing. And that was the backbone of my program of teaching kids to write. I, I would get kids in the program in the ninth grade. And my question is like, what have you been doing for the past eight years? You know, they couldn't write at all. They couldn't write a complete sentence. It was ridiculous. And so, but I realized early on that part of the reason they were so afraid of writing was they were really afraid of the grade. So if you got rid of the grade, then they could write up a storm. And I would, they were like, I can't write. I've tried and I just can't write. I said, well, uh, can you talk? And they're like, yeah. Well, it's like talking. It's the same thing, only it's on paper. Right. <laughs> I mean, it worked. Yeah. And, and and for people listening, this is, uh, we'll, we'll feed into probably making a lot of sense to people. They're probably saying, yeah, I wish we could do that. Um, here's how we know you're an expert. And I love this. I love the title of the CNBC piece you did. I raised two successful CEOs and a doctor. Here's the unpopular parenting rule I always used on my kids. So the two CEOs, 23andMe, yes. right? YouTube. Right. Yes. And then a pediatric research doctor extraordinaire. Right. Um, so what's the, um, so you did that. Those are your three girls. Yes. Your three daughters. Yes. Pretty amazing. Daughters. Yes. Um, what's the unpopular parenting rule you used? The unpopular parenting rule is I pretty much let them do whatever, I gave them independence. So I didn't, I said actually in that blog post, don't do for your child whatever they can do for themselves. Stop serving them. They're not like little guests at the house. They're part of the team. So let them help out. Let them do the laundry. Let them help cook dinner. Let them help vacuum. Let them help, let them help do all these things. You know what? That's unpopular, but it empowers them. Mm -hmm. They feel like they can take care of themselves and take care of whatever it is that comes their way. You You know, ever since since I heard you talk about that, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I want to throw this in when you keep talking. I now watch and observe more than I used to people with their kids. And I was in the airport recently and I was watching these two parents and their three small children were following them like ducks. One of them had their own little wheelie, right? And she was a little older. This little guy had a wheelie he could barely carry. And then there was a like a one in between that was just like carrying bags. And they are, they are like yards in front, Esther. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, I was so bad. I'd walk around with my kids, but get right here. Get right here. Someone could, like, I was, you know, the Italian parent, the Italian raised parent, like get over here. Someone's going to kill you or take you, but I'm watching them. And, and at one point in time, the dad turned around and said to the boy who was carrying the bags, who kept like grabbing them. Can I help? No, I'm good. I'm, I'm great. They, mm-hmm. they didn't complain. They didn't move. They couldn't have been more happy. And I thought about you because I, that's just not intuitive. I think for most parents, well, I'm trying to help parents make it more intuitive. It, you know why it isn't intuitive? Because so we live in this land of opportunity, right? It's kind of the land of everything. And so we want to make our kids as happy and comfortable as possible. You know, they don't have to do carry things. They don't have to, you know, they don't have to make their own breakfast. They don't have to do their own laundry. You know, we take care of it. They have like the idyllic life. 
and we're disempowering them at the same time. That's the problem. That is really the problem because they grow up and they expect that. Have you ever seen, did you know UC Berkeley has a course in adulting? And adulting, it's like how to be an adult, how to how to fry an egg, uh-huh. your laundry, you know, how, how to fill out a form. I mean, there are all kinds of things that we are doing for our kids. We want to make sure they're successful. And so we do it for them and we disempower them. That's what's going on. That's exactly what's going on. It's just crazy. All right. So what do we do? So what are those of us who completely failed at that for some of our kids do? (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to, you don't want to just throw them into the water and let swim. Um, I I would say you back off slowly Mm -hmm. and, but then you back off completely. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if they end up wearing dirty clothes or whatever, it's they're going to learn because they weren't wear the dirty clothes. Yeah. You know, if they don't have any underwear. Okay, well, it's too bad. You should know how to do the laundry. It's a consequence, right? A consequence. You know, you have to let natural consequences take it, take place. And, um, and we don't, we just, we're always there. We're, we're like saving the kids all the time from right. everything bad. Tell me about unreal world. Okay. Sorry. No, unreal world. Yeah, exactly. Um, Tell me about track learning. So you're the co-founder of track learning Inc. Is Uh, it publishes website? It's sort of peer to peer gamified learning. It's peer to peer learning kids, helping kids learn something that they want to learn. And so the kids that are the creators are the ones that are making something that they think kids younger should learn. And the kids that are users are reading about it or doing it and working with their friends on it. And then the older kid can actually, the creator can actually be available to the younger kids to coach or tutor or say something that they want to. So the goal is to help older kids have a sense of competence and leadership and when you can teach something, you feel really good about it and feel good about yourself. And when you're the younger kids, there's nothing more exciting in a younger kid's life than an older kid. That's it. You uh-huh. know, learning something that the older kids want to do. So that's the goal of the peer-to-peer learning. It's an online attempt to get kids to work well together. This was my program, a journalism program. My classes had 70 kids in them, one teacher, 70 kids. How did I do it? All peer-to-peer learning. Everyone was in a group. They all had four other people in the group. Every single person in the class was either a buddy or had a buddy. They were all connected. So when if they couldn't do something, they had somebody to talk to. And it produced top publications in the United States, ranked number one. It's actually the number one journalism program in the US. That's fantastic. And the app now lives anywhere. Anyone can use it. Students are students are using it. Can are teachers using it as well or are encouraging their students? Yes. I encourage teachers to use it and I encourage students to use it. And I encourage parents to let the students do it. Mm -hmm. Looks like TikTok or looks like YouTube, but actually it's learning online. And so it matters a lot. And, well, um, and and you've been involved with technology and deploying technology for a while, both because of where you live, because of the work you've done, because of the people you're around. How do you see technology 
you know, being a tool to diversify instruction, delivery, um, to contribute to educating kids. I mean, there's lots of talk today about the metaverse. Um, and we know a lot of people who are working or attempting to establish the metaverse level set for us. What's the proper balance? How can that help us? Is it all technology all the time? Is it just a tool? To what extent? It's, it's a tool. It, it's a, it has multiple functions. Of course, one is it's a tool. You can find information. Back in the day when, you know, I'm old enough so that I can tell you, I had to go to the library to find everything I wanted to find. Today, I can just go online and Google it. Or, you know, I, there's so many opportunities to find information online. So it's a resource. The other thing is it's a way to communicate with your friends. We all do it, right? Communicate with your friends. I know students who graduated from my classes, you know, 50 years ago, just about 40 years ago. And it's because of thanks to Facebook, who unfortunately changed its name to Meta. I know. But, but you know, there's a, so much that is rich that's available with online. And I would say that one of the main things that we need to teach kids is how to regulate their own online time. And if we keep doing it for them, they will not learn how to do it themselves. And right now we're doing it for them. And so there are ways to teach kids to regulate their own time online and not to sit around like, you know, a snail on a log or whatever and be able to do other things besides that. Yeah, because it's easy to get lost in it. I think that's always the fear, right? And, and if you don't, if you don't have the independence, going back to the top of the conversation, if you don't have the independence as an educator and you've, 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 your school or your institution, your organization has confined people away from technology then or, or limited it to certain places, then we're not teaching it, right? We're not teaching the independence and we're not actually showing them the way you can use it. I mean, your point earlier about just your studying and content, I mean, it is extraordinary. You go to the National Constitution Center, you could find anything you wanted about this nation, anything in any modality. Unbelievable, unbelievable resource for us. And you can learn so much online. So a lot of the people complained the kids weren't learning anything on the pandemic during the pandemic. Well, that's because the Zoom classes were also super controlled. And instead of giving kids an opportunity to do research and come back to class and yeah. with each other, the teacher lectured for 50 minutes. Yeah. And do you know what the kids did? They turned off the voice and they didn't want to hear all this stuff. So lecture, all the research shows lecture is the least effective way to teach. And we still keep doing it. So, you know, can we help the parents understand I think go to the school board and say, we'd like our kids to be able to be participatory learners. Right. Just listening. Such a game-changing concept. I'm sure your daughters are incredibly proud of you. Are they raising their kids with the same philosophy? Yes, they are. They're all raising them. But I can just tell you, as they get older, so multiple teenagers, they tend to be very opinionated. <laughs> which actually it's good. You want them to be opinionated. You want them to do that. But, you know, it's more, it's a little bit more challenging to have an opinionated child than it is to have a docile child that just sits there and says nothing. <laughs> no one, you don't want a docile child that just sits there and says nothing. Right, right. You want them to be opinionated and in, engaged and uh, 
you know, contributing to their classes and contributing to their friends and so forth. So yes, they're all doing that. So what's next on the horizon for you? Anything, anything new coming up? So the next thing on the horizon I'm thinking about is writing a book about how trick works in the corporate world. And that we need to treat people that work in the corporate world with more trust, respect, independence, collaboration, and kindness. Love that. And um, I'm investigating at the moment. I'm uh, talking to possible potential co-authors. Fantastic. Well, I will look forward to that. That's super exciting. Esther, you've been so generous with your time and could talk to you all day in Piazza. Um, And it's just such a critical uh, critical subject. So I'm so glad you're out there. I'm so glad you're doing the work. I'm so glad you're so successful. I encourage everybody um, to look up Esther. We'll have her link in the bio if you haven't seen it yet and look for her book, How to Raise Successful People. Uh, so you can do it in your own family, maybe in your business, um, maybe just in general. So thank you so much for joining me, Esther. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you to all your listeners. Thanks for joining us in Piazza. Come back throughout the month for more great conversations about advancing our human potential, how we educate our kids, acquire knowledge ourselves, and be better at work and building strong communities. You can find in Piazza wherever you get your podcasts and follow me at Jeannie Allen on Twitter and the podcast at in Piazza Pod. Thanks for listening. Ci vediamo.